Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. We are kicking off a brand new series of conversations this morning called the prosperity gospel. And there hasn't been a series that we've done in a long time where the title has caught so many people off guard and that we've gotten so many questions about what it is we're actually gonna be spending the next several weeks talking about. And that is for good reason, because I'm convinced that there is a message of hope healing life there is a message of of peace and restoration there is a message of god being for you not against you there is a message of god wanting you to experience success and prosper you that has gotten hijacked by crazy people and i'm ready to reclaim it and get it back and so i'm excited and expectant for what god's going to do in this place now Anytime I go to to watch a movie in the movie theater, I'm never more excited than when at the beginning of the movie I see this phrase, based on a true story. That's just for me. I know some of you are super into Twilight and Harry Potter and anything else that doesn't make any sense at all to me, and it takes them 15 movies to be able to explain whatever it is that they're talking about. I'm a huge fan of movies that are based on a true story that in a couple of hours they can tell a great story because it actually happened somewhere along the way in the world. I realize I just offended all of the Twilight and Harry Potter I am super sorry. Jesus still loves you and has a plan for your life too, I promise. But I want you to know this morning that I get, personally, this is just me, I get super excited whenever I see movies or hear stories that are based on a true story. But there's a reality that comes with movies and stories that are based on a true story that always happens inevitably, and that is the stories always split people into two camps. And let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Camp number one are the people who listen to the story, love the story, eat it, swallow it up, hook, line, and sinker, tell their friends about it, and give rave reviews regarding the story or the movie. And then there's another group of people who either know the real story, know the real facts behind what's going on, or had interactions with the people that the story was made about, and they are completely frustrated and angry because the movie left out important details or or changed the plot or subjected the story to, to, to creative license, and now the story isn't the story that they wanted to tell or that they ever remembered happening anyway. And so they end up bashing and throwing out the whole movie, even if it's a really, really good movie, because it wasn't exactly the way that it went down. Let me give you a couple of examples, and I'm going to use our own, um, our, our own family, our own camp to be able to give you these examples. So uh, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out with Christian Bale called Exodus of Gods and Kings. Anybody see the movie? Nobody? Okay, I guess I'm the only one. Yeah, so here's the deal. It was a fantastic movie. Fantastic. Huge budget, lots of action. The CGI looked amazing. Like, it was an amazing movie. But because there were a lot of details that weren't biblically accurate, all of my colleagues and counterparts trashed the movie. They said, it's an awful movie. It's a horrible movie. Don't go see Exodus of Gods and Kings. And I'm sitting over here going like, why are you going to trash an entire movie just because some of the details were off? Yeah, but the details that were off were important details, and that's not the way it really went down. See what it did? It divided people into, I love this, I think I'll go enjoy this, or that's not the way it really happened. Another movie that came out a few years ago uh, was a movie with Russell Crowe called Noah. Anybody remember seeing Noah? Dude, Christians lit this movie on fire and burnt it at the stake, right? Like, 
Like they were freaking out. And, and the reason they were freaking out is because there was a lot of creative license taken in the movie. Of course there were no actual big rock monsters helping build the ark. Of course Noah didn't turn into a freaking psychopath and try to kill everybody on the ark while the flood was going on. But it was a great movie, right? It was a great movie. It just wasn't completely accurate. And now whether you fall into one of those camps or the other is really irrelevant. My point in saying all that is, when something is based on a true story, what makes it so difficult is the truth often gets lost because people either, either pit themselves for or against whatever the content is. And I'm convinced that's exactly what has happened with the truth of God's word that he wants you to experience his best in your life because it got hijacked by a bunch of people who told the story wrong. And when they told the story wrong, people wrote off the entire thing. So because here's what I'm convinced of. God does love you. God does have a plan for your life. God does have purposes for you. God does want to prosper you. God does want you to experience success in what you put your hand to. But because it got hijacked by some crazy people with a 1-800 number and a credit card logo at the bottom of the screen on late night television, people have completely written it off as this thing called the prosperity gospel. And I'm just convinced that when they wrote it off, they wrote off some things that aren't part of the prosperity gospel. They're part of the gospel. They're part of the good news of following Jesus. And so what we're wanting to do over the course of the next few weeks is kind of parse through the noise and take the truth that's found in the things that were based on truth, bring them back to the forefront, and begin building our lives around them. Does that make sense? So when I was growing up back in the 80s and 90s, there was this guy who um, was like the epitome of sharing the truth almost. <laughs> Um, he, was, he was sharing the gospel that was based on a true story, right? There was this guy that was always on TV, and I remember him growing up like it was yesterday. Um, his name was Bob Tilton or Robert Tilton. Some of you who are older, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And, and here's the thing. Whether you love Bob Tilton or hate Bob Tilton is really irrelevant. We can all agree on the fact that there was this guy who would come on your television, and he would tell you that you are outside the will of God if you do not send him a $1,000 vow of faith, right? And I remember, like, watching these shows and thinking, dude, my allowance is like seven bucks. Do you know how long it would take me to pay off my $1,000 vow of faith if I called? God's just going to have to be mad at me. It's just not going to work. I'm not going to get to experience God's blessings in my life. But he put out this book about 20 years ago that I bought and that I've read. And it's a book that has the weirdest and strangest and most goofy title. And the graphics are even worse. Can you throw that book up on the screen for me? It's called How to Be Rich and Have Everything You Ever Wanted. <laughs> Doesn't this sound like a great book to buy from a pastor? Aren't you just thrilled and excited? You want the number so you can order it yourself, right? I always thought it was funny that it says $7.95 US because it was, it was $7.95 US, but then it was like $38 shipping and handling. And then on top of the $38, they would try to hound you into sowing a vow or a seed of faith of like $100 or $200 or $300 while you were on the phone. And so you get hounded, and by the time you get off the phone and get your book in the mail on the way to you, it's not like Amazon Prime. It doesn't just show up. By the time it comes to you, you've paid like $400 to Bob Tilton to get this book. I think the book should be filled with content about how to get a television program and convince people to give you their money. Because apparently that's his plan for getting rich and having everything that you've ever wanted, right? But here's what I found to be fascinating. And I want you to hang with me for just a second. When I, when I got this book, I opened it up and it is chock full of truth from the scriptures. It's chock full of biblical truth. It's chock full of stuff that I would teach 
and that I would preach and that's helpful and that's good and that's God's design for humanity. The problem is it's also filled with a lot of junk and they hijacked the truth of God's word and they, they formulated a message that most people, especially in my generation, have just completely written off. Like, we don't take Bob Tilton seriously. My generation could care less about Robert Tilton. The only thing we know about Robert Tilton is that he was the guy they used when they did the dub over for the farting preacher videos on YouTube. If you haven't seen those, you should go look those up. They're hilarious. We don't take anything this dude says seriously at all. And the reason we wrote it off is because of the package that he wrapped the truth in. The problem is, it's not his truth. And he doesn't get to keep it. And so while some of you may have been skeptical about this conversation, while some of you may have been skeptical about the series, while some of you may have been kind of super sketch about the idea of us talking about the prosperity gospel, I hope and I'll pray that you let your guard down for just a few minutes this morning and be open to what it is that God wants to say to you in this place. Now, most of what these guys teach and most of what these guys preach is rooted in a passage of scripture that's found in the Old Testament book of Malachi. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a, a Bible, the verses are going to be on the screens for you. However, we would love to give you a Bible as our gift to you free of charge. We believe that studying God's word for yourself is one of the most important things that you can do. And so we'd love for you to stop by our resource center before you leave and get a Bible. But for the sake of today's service, the verses are going to be on the screens for you. Malachi chapter 3. And any pastor I've ever heard stand up and teach or preach on money always goes back to this particular passage. And so if you were raised in church and you've heard this verse before and you're like, here we go again, hang with me for a second. I promise, promise this is going to come around and you're going to hear something that I'm pretty sure you've never heard before. Malachi chapter 3, picking it up in verse 8. This is where they got this message. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So these guys get on television late at night and they say, if you rob God of his tithe, if you rob God of his offering, if you don't give the man of God the money that God deserves, you're going to be cursed. And they back it up with this passage of scripture. And then the direct command, which is found in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I've preached this. I've taught this. I'm going to continue to preach this and teach this because it is God's word, and it's God's design and God's desire for us. However, what's gotten hijacked is the way that this is presented and the context that it's presented in. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And you'll experience the blessing of God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Look what it says. And see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. The problem is, the assumption is made that the key to experiencing the blessing is the gift, right? If you bring the tithe, you bring the whole tithe, you don't hold back any of the tithe, then that means that you're going to experience the blessings of God. Because it says it right there in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Except that's not what it says. See, 
We read that and we say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Well, if we don't give to God what he's needing from us, then he won't be able to accomplish his purposes in the world. Come on, give me a break. We're talking about the creator of the universe. Do you think we could be pompous and arrogant enough to say that God needs our money in order to accomplish his purpose in the world? For the record, before any of us ever gave a dime, he created this whole thing and set it into motion and set it into existence. God doesn't need your money. And the proof is found in the passage that nobody ever reads. And that's in the passage that comes six verses later in Malachi chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord, who who actually did this, who actually brought the whole tithe into the storehouse and experienced the blessings of God, those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. I love this next part. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, They will be my treasured possession. The point in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 isn't the gift, it's the giver. God's not interested in the money, he's interested in the person who's giving the money. God's not interested in getting something from you, he wants something for you. And the only way that he can give you what it is that he wants you to experience and have is for you to surrender a portion of your life which is really, really important to you, to him. God's not interested in your treasure, your earthly trinket, your earthly treasure. He's interested in your heart. He just knows that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's at. Right? And so often, pastors have taken this message, particularly ones on television. They've taken this message, and they've made the point, the gift. You give the gift, and you get a blessing from God. And that was never intended to be the economy that God structured and set up. God doesn't want you to trust in your resources, even if they're resources that are given to him. He wants you to trust him, and he wants to have your whole heart. The way he gets a hold of your whole heart is to get a hold of what's important to you. The point in Malachi is not the tithe. The point in Malachi is the one who brings the tithe. See, Robbie, how do you, how do you, how do you square that up with, yeah, but it's necessary to experience the blessing of God. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because once God gets a hold of your heart, he begins to change who you are. And once he changes who you are, you begin to experience the benefits of that change in your life. If you're taking notes, write this down. Success isn't found through reciprocation. I give you this, you give me this. I give you this, you give me this. That's what they preach on TV and that's not the message. Success isn't found through reciprocation. It's found through transformation. God's not interested in getting your money. He's interested in transforming your heart. And if God can transform your heart and your life, all of a sudden you'll begin to see and experience the blessings of God flow in ways that you've never seen them flow before. For me, I experience a lot of influence, but it has nothing to do with my job title or the position that I have. Has everything to do with I keep surrendering more and more and more and more of my life to the Lord. And the more I surrender of my life to the Lord, the more influence he gives me, the more I grow in him, the closer I am to him, and the more people are interested in what I have to say. It's not, God, I'll do this if you do this. It's God transforming you so you can become everything that he created you to be. Success isn't found through reciprocation. It's found through transformation. This is why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Verse 7 says these words. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now, for the record, pastors don't use this one as much when they're talking about money, right? We'll always jump back, back to Malachi. And what's fascinating is people love this verse far more than they love the Malachi passage. Like, I would get way more amens from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 than I do out of Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, right? And the reason is, is because it looks like this one's getting you off the hook. Ain't no pastor going to tell me I got to give 10% of my income. God said I give what I choose to give, right? I'm not giving out of guilt or compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Anything over 8%, I ain't cheerful no more, right? I hear you. I hear you. But what's interesting is Malachi chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 are actually conveying the exact same message. I'm not interested in the gift. I'm interested in the giver. I'm interested in what's in your heart. Yeah, but it says very specifically and directly you got to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Yes, because God knows that the only way he can get a hold of you and get a hold of me is to get a hold of what's important to you and me. It's not about the money. It was never about the money. It's about the opportunity we have to allow God to play a part in our life. See, for me, I need 100% of my income to make ends meet. Can I get a witness? Anybody else out there? You need 100% of your income. And when I got to drop down to live off a 90% instead of 100, I don't know how I'm going to make it anymore. And God says, okay, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. I don't know how I'm going to put things together and make it work. I don't know how I'm going to be able to budget and lay it all out. I don't know how I, 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 and God's going, okay, okay, we're getting there. You're getting so close. God, I don't know how to do it. How do you want me to do it? Ding, 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 ding. Now he's got you where he wants you. For those of you who say, I can't afford to tithe, God says, you can't afford not to tithe. Because as long as you live in your own power and your own strength, you never fill the purposes that I have for your life because I need somebody who's completely and utterly surrendered and dependent upon me. There's a reason why God over and over and over throughout the Old Testament said, I don't want you to take things to 100%. I don't want you to live off of seven days. I want you to live off of six. I'm number seven. I want you to rest. And he gave a mandate. Don't do anything on the seventh day. Why would he give that mandate? Not because there's anything special about the seventh day. It's just another day. What's important and what's special is what you do on that day. It's about a need. Back, back in the Old Testament, they needed all seven days. They had to work the fields. They had to work the crops. They had things that they had to do. And God's saying, yeah, but as long as you depend on your work, the sweat of your brow, the effort that you put in, as long as you are dependent on you, you're missing out on how I created you to live. And that is dependent upon me. If you ever need a proof of this, go all the way back to the beginning before sin was ever introduced into humanity's existence. God and Adam walked together in the garden. We were never meant to live this life alone. We were never meant to live this life by our own merit, by our own strength. We were never meant to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and make ends meet. God's saying, and if you can do that, I want to take a little bit of that away. Why? Do you need my money? No, I don't need your money. I want to take your dependence on yourself away from you, so you have to depend on me. Because I'm not interested in your money. I'm interested in your heart. The point isn't the gift. The point is the heart behind the gift. 
one of the things that I have become convinced of the longer that I pastor is that God wants you to learn to trust him rather than yourself. God wants you to trust him. No, no, let me say this. I have, I have dreaded, I have put off, I've tried to talk myself out of preaching this series for six months. Here's why. Because I know the red flags that go up when the church talks about money. Because of guys that came before us that wrote books like How to Be Rich and Have Everything You Ever Wanted. Those guys hijacked a principle for living that's necessary for you and I to experience God's best for our lives. I'm so tired of people saying, no, I'm not going to give to that. No, I'm not going to trust that. No, I'm not going to put God first. I don't trust what they're, I don't trust what they're going to do with my money. So you trust yourself more than you trust the Lord. See, here's what I love about giving through the local church versus any other way of giving. Yeah, there's a lot of great organizations that you can give to and a lot of things that you can do. Here's what I love about giving through the local church. It requires you to let go of control of where that money goes. Think about this for a second. Hang with me. And I know this sounds so cliche coming from a guy like me who's in charge of a local church. I get that. I totally get that. But just hang with me for a second. When you give to this organization that you're really passionate about, that you love, that's great. But guess what you're doing? You're supporting your passion. You're supporting what's important to you. We used to have people to give um, resources to the church and they would, um, they would designate where it would go. I don't necessarily believe what they're doing over here in the music ministry. I don't like the music. I've never been a fan of the music. They're changing to that new, fangled, um, crazy music. But I believe in the student ministry. I like the, I like the youth pastor. The youth pastor should be the pastor of this place. We should vote the pastor out and get the youth pastor to run this show. I'm going to give my money and designate it to the youth ministry. You know what happens when you do that? You say, I'm in charge of my resources. The reason I love and my family gives through the local church is because when I give... I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you with my resources. I'm not giving to what I'm passionate about, what I'm excited about. I'm giving because I trust you and I need to be dependent upon you in order for you to have my whole heart. And you give and you trust God with the rest. Now, uh, can I get, uh, yeah, Travis, can you help me out here? Can, uh, actually, Sam's got it. Sam's got it right by there. Can, Sam, can you bring up those, uh, those couple of chairs for me? I want to do something and... and I tried to talk myself out of this one too um, because I feel like that I may be letting anybody and everybody off the hook in the, in the next conversation, but I feel like it's time that we be completely and utterly and totally honest and transparent in the local church. Otherwise, God's people are never going to get past what's taken place over the last 50, 75, 100 years when it comes to money and the church. I asked him to bring up two chairs, right? Sean, can you put up that prosperity gospel graphic for me? Over the last 20, 25 minutes, I've been preaching to you and teaching you from this chair. And this chair is the position of a pastor teaching his people about what God wants for your life. 
Not about what God wants from you, not about what God's interested in from you, not about what God needs you to do, but about what God wants for your life. God wants you to trust Him, to be dependent on Him, to lean on Him. And once you become dependent upon Him, it begins to transform your heart. It begins to transform your life. When you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, guess what it does? It it, it encourages and allows you to be dependent on Him. When you become dependent on Him, guess what happens? Blessings begin to flow in your life because you're not living for yourself anymore you're living for the opportunity that God created you for. This is the message that God has for his church. And from this chair, this is an important message for us to preach. But here's what a lot of pastors do. Can you throw up that other graphic for me, Sean? This is a graphic that coincides with a capital campaign that we're about to start as a church. And I know some of you are going, here it is. I knew it. I knew there was going to be a hook. No, no, no. Hang with me. Hang with me. This is a graphic that goes with a capital campaign. Some of you who are new to church are going, what's a capital campaign? Let me tell you what a capital campaign is. A capital campaign is when a church stands up and says, hey, we're getting ready to build a building. We're getting ready to start a project. We're getting ready to do an initiative. We're getting ready to do a thing, and we need your support. We need you to give above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings. We need you to give above what you normally give in order to help us accomplish this thing. And normally churches do this about once every couple of years because churches normally have um, initiatives that they want to pull off and accomplish and do. We've never done an official capital campaign before. We've asked people to step up and to give. We've asked people to do more than they currently do. But we've never asked people to give towards capital expenditures like this, an official and actual capital campaign. But we're actually getting ready to roll out a capital campaign that we're going to be talking about. We already talked to our partners about it that we're going to be talking about through the month of February and we're going to allow people to commit to at the end of February. And normally, here's what pastors and leaders do. They preach that message from this chair. We need your money to accomplish something, so let me teach you about God's design for you and resources along the way. Meaning, we have self-interest that we need you to accommodate and take care of. So the best way to get you to accommodate and take care of our self-interest is to tell you that God made you to do this. Basically, we go against completely and utterly 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. We guilt you into giving to our project by using truth from God's word. And I don't think there could be anything further from God's heart. Some of you've been there. Some of you've sat through it. I've helped do it before. Where you stand up and you teach on Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. And here's why it's so important to give. And here's why it's so important to put God first in your finances. And we just so happen to have a really cool opportunity for you to do that. Let us tell you about our capital campaign. Now for the record, I love this capital campaign that we're about to start. For one thing, most capital campaigns, for anybody who's been raised in church, you know that most of the time when you give to a capital campaign, you're giving to a picture on a wall of something that might happen one day. Guess what? We had to hurry up and get in this building and do the upfit on this building. So we are doing a capital campaign for the upfit of this building, but we had to hurry. So we went and borrowed money from anywhere that we could get it to do the project. Now we're trying to raise the money for the project that we already did. So if anybody ever asked the question, hey, what's this capital campaign going for? Look around. 
You get to see it in real time, flesh and blood, right? You get to see it, sense it, walk through it. Forget 3D models. We're going to give you a real model to walk through. You can smell it, right? It's an old building. There's all kinds of smells. But we're going to give you the opportunity to see what it is that you're giving to through this campaign. So I love this campaign. I'm not knocking this campaign. I'm not throwing this campaign under the bus. There is a real need for this campaign. We as a church are in a position right now that we have more bills than we have the capacity to pull off because of the move to this facility, and we need God's people to step up and help make this a reality. And we'll talk more about that in the days to come. But on my honor, I'm not going to sit in that chair and preach this message. God wants you to put him first in your finances because he wants something for you, not from you. God doesn't need your money to accomplish his purposes in the world. He's been accomplishing his purposes for thousands of years, and he will continue to accomplish his purposes for thousands more. He doesn't need our money to do what he wants to do. God doesn't need your money. But this church does. And I got no qualms saying that. You know why? You know why it's not difficult for me to preach this now? Here's why. I believe if I preach this and God's people get excited about God's heart and want their desires and his desires to intertwine and intersect and become one, God's people putting him first in their finances and trusting him and leaning on him and believing in him for what it is that he wants to accomplish in the world, I believe if we can get God's people living God's way financially when I stand up and say, hey, you know what? There's an opportunity to be a part of something really special, and that is supporting this organization above your regular tithes and offerings in order to make a difference in what God's doing through Hope City. People will rise to the occasion and step up to the plate, and I don't have to manipulate you or guilt you to do it in the process. So my purpose in sharing this message was threefold. First of all, to apologize. Apologize. On behalf of pastors everywhere for as long as I can remember, for stacking these two chairs together. It was never God's desire, it was never God's design, and we don't see it laid out in Scripture anywhere. Last night I was watching some funny fail videos on YouTube, because that's what I do to veg out on Saturday night, to kind of like disconnect, to prepare for Sunday morning, right? Spend some time in prayer and then spend some time in YouTube. I was watching YouTube. And there's all these different fail videos of drunk people that stack chairs and try to do stupid things. Some of you have seen some of these videos. The best are the CrossFitters who are drinking, and they try to stack their stacks way too high and then jump on top of the chairs, but the chairs are far taller than they could ever jump on, and they end up just hurting themselves and those around them. Those are hilarious to watch on YouTube. But when people start stacking these chairs, not only do they hurt themselves and those around them, but it's not funny anymore. Because I've got people right now who refuse to be a part of what God is doing through the local church because there was a guy like Robert Tilton that came on their screen when they were younger. Now, I don't know Bob's heart. I don't know where he's coming from. I just know the perception that was created. He he may have an amazing heart. I've been picking on him like crazy, and I may have to ask him to forgive me of that. But I do know that when you start stacking these chairs, people get hurt. And so as a church, I'm making the commitment to you 
that we will never do that. I'm sorry that it was ever done and it won't ever be done here. God does want you to put him first in your finances. God does want you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. God does want you to give more than you think you have the capacity or the ability to give. And he wants you to do it through the local church. And the reason why is because he wants to get a hold of your heart. And he knows that that's the best way to do it. But a church project and God's design for your resources two different conversations and anybody who's ever mixed the two needs to apologize that's the first thing the second thing that I wanted to do was set a fire in your heart to want to experience the tangible and intangible blessings of God in your life we have an, an offer that we give here and it's not because it's cool or cliche or hip or whatever we do this offer because we just take God at his word and the offer is a 90-day giving challenge. Now, some of you are going to think this is super weird, but just hang with me for a second. We so desperately want to set a fire in people's hearts for the things in the kingdom of God that we're willing to put our money where our mouth is. And you say, well, where's that? If you're willing to do what Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says and bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, if you would be willing to set up giving 10% of your income through the local church, at the end of 90 days, if you're not experiencing the tangible and intangible blessings of God in your life, we'll give you every dime of your money back. No questions asked. You may say, well, that sounds, that's, that sounds like something Bob Tilton would do, right? No, 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 no. You ain't never getting your money back from Bob. I can promise you that. They can lose it in the mail. You have to pay shipping and handling again, right? No. We'll give you your money back because we believe in what God says. Test me in this. I will open the windows of heaven, not because you decided to give to a church, but because in you giving to the church, I'm going to transform your heart. So we want to set a fire inside the hearts of our people. And some of you, some of you need to start that process. Some of you need to grab one of those next steps card and write on it somewhere real big with your name and contact info. 90 days, I'm in. Some of you need to take the risk today. I know that some of you are sitting there right now and you're going, bro, you have no idea what you're doing to me. Do you know the conversation I'm going to have to have in the van when I get in the car? We're going to start, we're gonna have to face each other and talk about this. And I don't want to do this. It's just, these are the days that I wish I would come to church and be single, right? Because then I don't have to have a conversation with anybody. I know this is going to cause conversations to happen and I want them to. I want this to make you uncomfortable. I want this to, to do something inside of you that's not normal. Because I'm convinced that once this happens, God transforms everything about your existence. This conversation isn't about money. This conversation is about your heart. And when your heart's transformed, it changes everything. The third thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to dispel the myth. The myth that you give to God to get from God. Give to God to get from God. God doesn't work that way. Listen, our God is extremely gracious. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? He gave his life before you ever gave him anything. He's here for you. He doesn't want anything from you. We don't give to get. We give so that our hearts can be transformed. And when our hearts are transformed, we begin to experience blessings 
that we could have never experienced before. I want to dispel that myth. I want you to know this morning that giving can be an exciting thing. It can be something that you get to be pumped about doing, not because of what it takes from you, but because of what opportunities it affords you. And this drives, man, I'm telling you what I'm about to say, drives our staff crazy. They don't know where their paycheck's coming from in a couple weeks. They are absolutely driven crazy by what I'm about to say. But if you think I'm saying all this because I want something for you, I want, or I want something from you, I want your money. If you think I'm saying this because I'm the pastor of a religious organization and this is just a catchy way to get you to give more money, here's my challenge to you. Take the 90-day giving challenge and give it somewhere else. Give it somewhere else if you don't trust me. See, because I believe God will open up the windows of heaven when you give up control of your resources, no matter where those resources go. I just happen to believe that one of the best ways to do it is through the local church. Don't rob God, like Malachi chapter 3 says, but even and just as important, don't rob yourself of what God wants to do in and through you. Please, please, please hear me say that this message today is a message about prosperity, but it's about what God wants to prosper in your heart. And it's about how God wants you to experience success in his calling and purposes in your life. So if you leave here and you go to lunch and somebody said, hey, what's the, what was the sermon about at church today? If you say money, not true. Not true. Money's just a tool. Scripture says where your treasure's at, that's where your heart's at. This message is about your heart. And where you give that first 10% is indicative of where your heart is at today. It's a black and white message. So over the next several weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be people who experience prosperity, people who experience success. We're gonna talk about what it looks like to be the kind of people that experience God's best for our life. And what it looks like and how it looks has very little to do with writing a check to a church. And a lot more to do with where your heart's at when you decide to write a check talk about that over the next few weeks. My heart and my hope and my prayer is that you are here for it. God, we love you and we thank you for the sacrifice that you made 2,000 years ago to give us your son so that you could speak to us clearly, so that you could make your presence known specifically, so that we could live for and walk with you every day. God, you know that I need 100%, but I live off of 89. And the reason is, is because I want to be in a position to month after month, week after week, depend upon you. And I'm thankful that you shed your blood and died on the cross to give me the opportunity to live that way. Please, Lord, help our church not miss it, not miss living. Surrender.